Hi, I'm Ann Faison, and this is Are We There Yet? Understanding Adolescent Grief. Today, my guest is Emily Ziff Griffin. She's an author, screenwriter, essayist, and producer. And we've known each other for quite some time. So hi, Emily. Hi, Anne. Thank you for having me. Um, And I'm super excited to talk to you because we both lost a parent at a young age and we're both writers. And I'm really excited to talk about writing and how writing about that early loss has um, changed you, changed your writing, what it was like. Um, There's so much to talk about in there. So let's just start with your dad and just tell us a little bit about him and when he died, how he died and how you ended up coming to writing about it. Yeah. So um, my dad was a a gay man, um, which is something he didn't quite figure out uh, before getting married to my mother and, and having me, you know, he, he eventually did determine that that was really kind of who he was. And, um, and so my parents separated uh, when I was quite young and, and, you know, continued to have a business together and, and parent me. And when I was almost nine years old uh, in, in 1987, my father was diagnosed with AIDS. And at that point, you know, as, as people may know, there was no treatment for AIDS. Um, it was, for lack of a better expression, it was a death sentence. You know, by the time he was diagnosed, he was already sick. So he uh, sort of battled with the disease for, for about five years, you know, going through periods of being quite well and able to really, you know, live and function normally. And then other at other points, um, you know, being being really debilitated. Um, and then ultimately, uh, he passed away when I was just shy of my 14th birthday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't really have any interest in writing about it at the time. In fact, I really struggled to connect to the experience at all at that point. I, I really didn't let myself feel anything about it. It was kind of impossible uh, to let in the enormity of what I was actually going through. And so I, I just sort of you know, was able to compartmentalize really that experience and, and then the rest of my life because nobody that I was grow, you know, that I grew up with knew that my dad was gay. Nobody knew that he was sick. There was just sort of this, you know, incredible stigma around both homosexuality and certainly AIDS at that time. People didn't understand it and they were very afraid of it. And and so I had this in a way almost like a double life where I was like dealing with this impending loss and then ultimately the loss itself. And then at the, you know, at the same time in the rest of the of my life was just you know, teenager, um, trying to go through the world. And, and so I, I kind of kept that bifurcation going for a long time. Like it Mm -hmm. really wasn't until my thirties that I started to open the door to the idea that it could be something I might write about. Mm -hmm. And even then it took me, you know, a while to sort of dip my toe in, in different ways. And, and, and then I kind of came to this decision really that I was going to write a novel loosely inspired uh, by my father's illness and death. And and so I wrote this book called Light Years, which um, is really a pandemic thriller in a lot of ways. And it's kind of this funny thing to read now because it feels very COVID-y, mm-hmm. uh, but it was published before uh, COVID came around. And, um, and that's really how I 
you know, began to consider myself, call myself, become a writer. And that's now, that is now, you know, fully my uh, path at this mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. How much did you understand about the disease at the time? I remember just, you know, peripherally that it was so mysterious. It seemed yeah. like so few people really understood much about the disease at all, but you having your dad have it and going in and out of treatment or hospitals and doctors, like how much were you able to understand what the disease was doing? I, I mean, I think I understood quite a lot. I mean, as far, you know, and you're exactly right. People didn't understand. And, and there was, you know, there were all of these sort of aspects around it because there was this sort of secrecy and shame. There was also this sort of political aspect of like, you know, the, the government really ignoring it up into a point and like allowing so many people to die. And that's, that's definitely, you know, a theme that ended up making its way into my novel. You know, the, the hardest part about it was there was no roadmap because it was completely unpredictable. There was no way to say like, oh, okay, now you're at the point in the trajectory of the disease where this is going to happen. This is what we expect. It was like, you could be fine on a Monday and by Wednesday you could be dead. Mm. So living under sort of the shadow of that, you know, and I think, you know, all of those factors, like the, the sort of societal aspects, the shame and secrecy aspect, the um, unpredictable nature of it, like those, it was like sort of this perfect storm of reasons that it really could not take up space in my psyche at the time, mm -hmm. which doesn't mean it wasn't there, right. right? It was very much there, but it was not allowed a seat at the table, I guess, mm. during those years. And it was only sort of later that it started to emerge and, you know, in, in ways that were, you know, problematic for me in my twenties, right? Like a lot of anxiety and a lot of like, medicating through, you know, various substances and, you know, just there was a tension for me, I think, around knowing that this, it's almost like when people talk about icebergs, right? You see the tip, but then you know, there's like this big thing underneath the ocean. And it's like knowing that there was this thing under the surface that had to be dealt with at some point, or the ship was like my, like mm. yeah, the ship of my life was going to run into it and go down, but also not really being able to to look and right. to really start to unearth it i do feel like this is a particular thing that happens with kids who have a parent who has an illness and then dies is that the parents have to figure out how much are we going to talk to mm. the child about this and how much do we want them to go quote unquote live their life as normal yes and the kid looks like they are just living their life yes like, and you talk about compartmentalizing i think that is a form of suppression that's perfectly normal and natural for kids to do but it for parents they're looking at a kid and going well they seem fine right they seem like really motivated they seem like they're yeah. doing great in school they've got a lot of friends so why bring them down by bringing this up it's such a complicated minefield mm -hmm. and i would say on the one hand that is 100 percent. i seemed fine i got great scores on all my standardized tests and i brown was my safety school and <laughs> that's where i ended up going uh and you know at the same time i was definitely not okay and i really would have benefited from more intervention but i think yeah, to everybody, it sort of looked like I was okay and I was fine. And like, I think my mother was sort of also dealing with her own stuff and it was very hard for her to, to be that resource for me. 
And I think, I guess I would say, if a child seems completely fine, they're not. Right. But that doesn't mean that they're unable to function, that the moments of composure and joy and delight and accomplishment aren't real, like they are. Yeah. And I think that's the thing we forget about everything most of the time is that it's not one thing, mm. right? And grief in particular is such a fluid it's kind of like AIDS, <laughs> like mm -hmm. it doesn't have a roadmap. It doesn't, it's not going to warn you when it's going to take a turn. Yeah. It just is. And you kind of have to roll with it and recognize that each step does not negate the others. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I think that's really important. Yeah. So when you did come around to writing, did you feel like this is the story I have to write? I can't write anything else until I get this story out. I had so much fear around being a creative person and be calling myself an artist. And, you know, I think that that that's largely because I didn't have access to my own emotional self for so long. And I think to be a really good artist, you have to, yeah. you have to be able and willing to feel things. You also have to be willing to be so incredibly vulnerable with other people. And I just, I didn't have that. I was very, um, buttoned up around who I was, how I felt connecting with people was something I could do, but only on my own terms and with certain limits, you know, mm -hmm. and it was like very controlled and that worked for me for a long time. And then it didn't, you mm -hmm. know, and then it's like, you want to have a real relationship. You want to marry someone, you want to have a family with someone that's not going to be how it's going to go. So anyway, all that to say, I didn't have access to ideas at that time because I didn't have access to my feelings or my true sense of self for a long time. And, and I think so much of our creativity just comes from like a, tr a really authentic moment to moment experience of everything that we're seeing and, and hearing and touching and tasting and everything. So, um, so the, so the story of my dad's death was like just the most available in a way. Mm -hmm. It wasn't so much like, I have to tell the story before I could possibly move on to the 800 other great ideas that I have. It was like, I don't have any ideas mm. because I'm not fully in my life yet. And writing light years allowed me to become more fully in my life, more fully myself. It allowed me to be able to talk about the experience of losing my dad in a way that I never could have before. I mean, mm. I remember when the book came out and I would like my first few like author events and things. I'm like, you know, I would have to like practice what I was going to, you know, and it's like, I could get up in front of a thousand people right now and like do this. And it would be, I wouldn't even think twice about it. And mm. like that took a really long time to get to, but it was through making that experience public that I was, you know, able to kind of start to own it as, as my own. Right. I mean, self. it's like, that's the thing about writing is so much goes into the writing process and then you have to promote it and that's a whole nother life of talking about these ideas expressing what you're trying to say putting it in different words putting it in a sound bite you right. know well and i you know i from my my producing career was working with the actor philip seymour hoffman and we had a production coming together for you know 10 years and he was so good at that and i i, I really learned the value of how to do that and I guess to some extent, I learned how to do it just by watching him do yeah. it for so many years because he could always, you know, it was part of how we would work together 
on a storytelling level is like, okay, well, what is this story about? Like, what is this really like on a thematic level? What are we talking about? What, what why is this resonant, mm. right? Why does this story connect or matter? Or what are we really getting at? And I think with Light Years, because it was the first thing I wrote, I was really evolving as a person while I was writing the book. And so the book was evolving at the same time, right? right. Like it was morphing the thematic kind of underpinnings of that novel changed a lot as I was writing it because I was changing. I was coming into myself. Yeah. And then you also wrote about your dad's death in a much more autobiographical mm -hmm. setting. Um, you wrote an essay. Can you tell us the story of like yeah. coming around to that? What, what made you want to write it? And then how did it happen? So I wrote an essay for The New Yorker almost two years ago at this point called The Last Dance with My Dad, which is really the true story of going on a gay cruise with my father when I was like... 13-ish, uh, <laughs> like the only child on this ship and the only, as far as I recall, the only female passenger. I mean, it sounds like a dream in a way. It was like, incredible. So much attention. Oh yeah, so much attention. And you know, that's very much a, what, you know, that's one of the, the elements of that essay is just the feeling of acceptance that I found in that community, which I didn't feel mm. in school, right? Where nobody knew the truth. It's like right. there, it was like, and and that is the nature of that community, right? Mm. Is to I mean, you know, people will say like, oh, it's it can be a little, mm -hmm. it can not be as accepting. But like for my experience of it has always yeah. been, you know, it's a place where I I was embraced, and and that trip was important for that. It was a it was a way of understanding something that that community learned through the horror of AIDS. Um, that I think we all can embrace, which is, you know, that connection and love and the truth of who you are, are things that can really set you free and bring you joy, even in times of like tremendous upheaval, loss, sadness, etc. So I wrote this essay, I, I, I re kind of reverse engineered it because I, I was at a kind of a baby shower weekend and just sort of off the cuff made a mention about like having gone on this gay cruise with my dad. And this, my friend Nicola turned to me and she was like, that's a movie. And I was like, fuck, that's definitely a movie. And <laughs> so I was like, okay, I want to make a movie about this. So I'm going to write the essay of the true story. And then I'm going to sell the essay and write the screenplay. And like, that's going to be how that happens. And that, that is, that is how that is happening. It's, it's, mm. it's in the process of happening. So it was different, you know, it was very different to write the true story, right? Having written this novel that it's the story of a girl who, you know, is someone who, who has trouble feeling her feelings and, and she sort of has to realize that the power of her true self and her emotional self is actually what is going to be her superpower and like mm. that that's going to like galvanize her ability to change the world. So that's fiction, right? Like that sort of is my journey, right? Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. it also, you know, it doesn't look like mine, my life. Exactly. But the essay is my story. And, and, you know, it was a different, it felt different. I don't think it's something I could have done off the bat. Like it took all the years really gaining the confidence and the comfort with my experience and mm -hmm. myself to then be able to say like, yeah, okay, I'm now going to tell you what really happened. Right. And I'm going to like really own that fully in a way, you know, that I still am like a little bit stunned that it was not a big thing. Like it didn't feel like, oh my God, now everyone's going to know this thing. It's like, no, 
like, great, everyone's going to know this thing, mm. you know, and mm -hmm. like, I get to share that with people. And I can't even tell you like, how many emails and mm. messages of just like, connection, you know, and I think that's the thing that is like, it just brings you back to why you write anything ever. It's like, to have an effect on other people is like such a profound gift and power, you yeah. know? Yeah. And did you think about that story much at all before you mentioned it and then decided to write about it? Like, was it, was it a story that kind of loomed large in your memory or was it like, oh yeah, I, it, I'm just it curious. It did. I mean, it's funny. I don't know how often I, it's hard to even remember, like, did I often turn to it, you know, as a memory? It, it's very clear, like the feeling of being on that ship and you know, I don't know if you have this, I think when you experience a loss at a young age, I mean, we've talked about also that you sort of get frozen at that age in a way, but I also don't have a lot of memories, but I, the ones that I have are like, they're like the record has been played over and over again. So, you know, it took some time to, to, to write it and to, and to find a home for it. But yeah, it's been, it was always sort of there, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there are a handful of those things throughout yeah. my life that yeah. I will probably also write about, you know, at some point. Or does another. it, does it change it at all? Having written about it? Does it change it in your, do you feel like it changes the way you think about it? Having written about it? Like, does it make it bigger or more important or? Yeah, yeah. I think it also, it contextualizes it or it gives it, I guess it anchors the meaning that it has for me yeah right mm -hmm. which is this idea of like connection and 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 love and truth leading us to joy even when we're also experiencing suffering and so so then being able to write it that way it's like now that's what that is for me is what i wrote is like how i framed it in the right, writing right, and that's right. why writing is such a beautiful tool because in it wasn't the same way that i I was changing as I wrote light years. And so then light years was changing. Like that was like a real time sim simultaneous evolution of self and book. Right. You know, this is a little different. Wherein, like, I went into it, like, this is what I want to write about. I'm going to tell the story from this point of view, but it still does reframe life. It changes the context. It's almost like, you know, where it goes in the filing cabinet of your memories. Like, not that it goes in a different cabinet, but maybe the description on the folder is a little different. Keeps getting changed. Yeah. 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 Um, and that can be really helpful and really powerful. And it can happen through writing fiction, but it's going to probably happen more acutely through writing memoir. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think about this with my novel, just that I, when I decided to focus it on a friendship that mm -hmm. I had, it was a friendship I really hadn't thought that much about to really fictionalize uh, uh, a friendship that did happen um, was so much fun because I didn't remember a lot of that period, yes. but I could, I remembered the feelings yes. like you said, and I, it was so fun to make stuff up and but it did make that period of my life and that aspect of that period of my life kind of bigger than I remembered it. That all happened. It just didn't feel like the main part As of the summary. story. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's actually a great point. And that's true. I mean, it's, I probably, you know, 
rarely thought about mm -hmm. this cruise right? right over the 20 years or 30 years between right. going on it and writing about it so yeah it does probably take up more space now it's further to the front of the filing cabinet i think though that like to me what stands out in what you said is like how the feeling of it is what comes forward mm -hmm. you know and i think like we write memory in order to isolate how we felt and then we can write narrative that's fiction but that's drawn from that feeling and then you write something great mm. because you're in touch with really what the experience was so the more you're writing from that place i think the more powerful your storytelling is even if it if the circumstances resemble nothing right. like, like your own life you know? right absolutely yeah and i mean i think one reason i wanted to talk to you is because i feel like writing about an adolescent story that has grief and death as part of it is so hard and i i mean the motivation i know for my story was i just didn't feel seen as mm -hmm. uh, a, a, a young person who had lived through that in stories and books and movies and i wanted to see i wanted to write something that felt really like real and gritty and mm -hmm. this lasts a long time and it's not just one thing it's a mm -hmm. lot of things and it has to do with your behavior and your relationships and and what makes me feel good about being able to do that was i feel like i was just willing to really go there yes and i just don't know that that many people other than you mm -hmm. and a few others are really willing to go there i think that's what is missing yeah you know in the in the kind of um the archive of of grief stories of which there are an infinite number yeah but to me they never really ring that true having lived it i'm always like that wouldn't that's not how the family would have responded that's not how the kid would have you know i right. see it and i'm just like that doesn't ring true right well because i think a lot of people right they're not coming from lived experience and again that doesn't mean that you have to have necessarily lost a parent to write a story of losing a parent but you have to know loss to tell that story well, I think. It certainly helps if you <laughs> lost a parent, mm -hmm. but you have to know, you have to be able to investigate mm -hmm. on a very deep level what that is, yeah. I think, to understand how to tell that story. And I think so many people also there, that you know, we do live in a culture that's so, there, there's an impulse around how can we just make this okay? You know, and going back to what we were saying about if someone seems okay, does that mean they are okay? And my answer is yes and no. Like they probably are okay in moments, but they're not okay all the time. And that's the distinction I think that as parents, we would have to make for our children around like, okay, you're functioning you're doing the things I did all the things, but that's not going to be the entire story. Or like you were saying, I think at one point, like the teenager moves on quite quickly. Yeah, like they, they right. have the loss, they're bummed out and then on they go. Yeah. Cause you know, what, who's the boyfriend at school or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And, um, that's what we want. Right. We want that it to be like that. That would be a lot easier. Yeah. Um, but that's just not how it is. Yeah. And so I want to tell stories that are ultimately about the ways in which we can take the hard stuff and turn it into gold, you know, and because that's how I've moved through the world. And so I know it's possible. And I think those stories, those stories are different from 
they were sad for a day and then it was fine. Right. Right. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I, like I said, I, I, it's not that I think people who write a lot of stories that I know I've read and felt like, <clears throat> wow, that is not my experience at all. I, I, I don't think it's necessarily that they didn't have the experience. It's like, I think it's a willingness to go into that yes. and a willingness to be like, yeah, let's talk about a kid in pain. That's mm-hmm. a story we don't see very often. Mm-hmm. A kid in a lot of pain, mm-hmm. but look around like right. kids are in pain yes. um, all the time. I think growing up is painful, Yeah, you know, losing a parent or not growing up is painful. And yeah. we just don't see that much people willing to really write through what that was like for the kids and, and actually make it for kids. You yeah. know, so many people have said to me, oh, I think your novel might be for adults because it's so dark. It's dark. <laughs> yeah. No, no. And I'm sure that for teenagers, it's like, oh, finally, someone is articulating what I feel every day. Mm-hmm. I it just, again, my sort of thing is like, okay, and there's a path. It's like, there is a dark, dark, dark fucking road. And most of us are going to walk it at one point or another. But it's, it doesn't go on forever. It just doesn't. Yeah. You know? And And you get so much out of all of that. You get, it it does give you all kinds of, yeah, superpowers. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, even as a young person, even in the moments of going through it, I I could feel that from the beginning, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, you just know, Mm -hmm. um, and it sets you apart from most of your friends and, and you, have to deal with so many things and being secretive is one of them or feeling like I can't really talk about this because it's gonna people don't understand or I don't have the language or right. I have no idea how to talk about it or I don't even want to think about to, it right yeah. I just want to be you know I mean there's you know I just saw this thing on a parenting Instagram it was like about uh imagine you're on a flight and there's a lot of turbulence and the pilot comes on and they're like um, there's all this turbulence. I'm super freaked out. I'm not sure what to do. Like, what do you think we should do? Right. Or they come on and they're like, oh my God, um, that turbulence that you think you're feeling, like it's actually not, there's like no problem. There's no turbulence. It's fine. Everything's cool. Like just ignore it. Or they come on and they're like, Hey, so there's a bunch of turbulence, but like, I'm not really scared of it. I know what to do. I've got this. It's all good. Mm-hmm. I like the third one. Right. And like, that's what you want. In a parent. Yeah. And yeah. It, but it's, it's hard, I think, to not be afraid of our children's feelings. Yeah. They're so, it can be so, I mean, I think that's like the time that I'm like the most alarmed or, or, or like destabilized as a parent is when I feel like, oh, I'm, I'm afraid of how you're feeling right now. Yeah. Because you're so powerless. You want to make it go away. You want to make it better. You know, you shouldn't do that. You know, you need to just sort of let them feel it. Yeah. But it seems so bad. Yeah. (laughs) So you're just like, what do I do? And that's pretty amazing that we, having lived the childhoods we lived, Mm-hmm. that as parents, we still feel that way. I mean, I feel like yeah. I am pretty good at being with my kids when they're having a tough moment, Yeah, but I do struggle with it. Um, and then my kids will feel it. They're like, yeah. I'm worried that you're worried. Like, yes. great. Right. <laughs> That's a great recipe. No, no, you can't. You have to be yeah. like, so okay you know well you, you actually have to compartmentalize right like what right. you learned as a kid that's very oh, useful yeah, that's as a parent yeah 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 i think to to be like i'm going to turn that off 
and turn on this other faucet mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. being present and with you and my own feelings are going to go in the back. Yeah. Deal with those later. Yeah. And I, I think that I'm very conscious of because yeah, the impulse is always there to let's get rid of this uncomfortable feeling that you're having. Yeah. And that's what I did. I don't think anyone told me that I had to get rid of the uncomfortable feeling, but nobody was like, let's be with the uncomfortable feeling. Like, it's cool. I see you're having it. Of course you're having it. That makes sense. We're just gonna, it's gonna pass and we're just gonna, yeah. like that didn't happen either. I mean, I have like years and years and years of practice of being like, uncomfortable feeling, nope, not having it. Nope, nope, nope. And it's just like um, that I have really had to work through over a long period of time, like undoing that. Mm -hmm. But that's also then I think why I've gotten better as a writer because I'm able to feel and I'm not afraid of characters who feel things or of feeling those things myself as I write the story. That's, I was just gonna say back to writing, I do feel like when you can sit with your discomfort as a writer, Mm -hmm. those are the real choice moments when you're like, okay, especially I think sometimes working with an editor can be incredible because Mm. an editor can say, wait, what just happened? You kind of stopped here. Like, I want to know how the character feels and you have to go, okay. Yeah. Right. Right. I have to, I have to go deeper here. Mm -hmm. Um, like Mm. what was that like? And you're just like, oh, (laughs) I have to to tell you what it was like. It was not, I didn't, it was not good. Right. Right. Um, But okay. Right. And then you push through that and you do it and then you can't, you can't even believe you did it. Right. And then those are like the most impactful pieces of your writing because they come from your willingness to go there. Yeah. Um, Do people, because this is something I've gotten before, do people ever say to you, oh, that must've been cathartic to write that story. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, probably people have said that. I don't, I, I guess it's sort of like, well, what does that mean? You know? And I think what I would say is I feel like, I feel like light years was cathartic because it was really this enormous first step that kind of break, it felt like that breakthrough kind of thing. It felt like an unburdening. It felt like a revealing of self in a way that like I never had been willing to both like in terms of telling the story of my life, but then also like putting forward an artistic uh, object, you know, of creation and saying, I made this and here you get to judge it. Um, So on that you know, with that project, I would say it, that it was really cathartic. I think now I feel as though I have the catharsis around an experience and then I write the thing, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to using the thing to be the catharsis. Mm-hmm. It almost comes as a product of really sitting with an idea or or a memory and examining it till I come to a great sense of clarity around what it means for me and then using the story to illustrate that or to communicate that to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't, it, it, you know, the, the New Yorker piece didn't feel cathartic because I feel like I had spent 10 years leading up to it, uh, you know, doing, doing that, like 
already sharing it, you know, right. and already putting it out there. And so then by the time that came, like there was no part of me that was still ashamed or still worried that people would be shocked right. by the truth. You right. know, it's like, no, this is just, this is, I've been talking about this now for a while right. and it feels really good. It right. does feel good to continue talking about it, to share another layer of it and to share it in that direct way of, you know, writing more of a memoir. It's so interesting to think about shame and mm. embarrassment around death. I mean, I think yours is so much deeper because of the situation, because of AIDS, because of your dad being gay and all the layers of that way that society would be giving you the message like none of this is okay yeah but my mom died of cancer it was some of that same stuff oh yeah at the time cancer was really kind of like a mm -hmm. bad word and it people treated it like it was contagious which yeah. is obviously not but what i think is interesting what came up for me when you were just talking is you know the amount of shame that i kind of held for years and years around it i realized at some point that the shame or the feelings of there was just kind of this yucky shamey feeling around talking about grief openly that i was still holding as a writer much later in my middle age and kind of when i finally let go of that mm. and was like no i'm just gonna write about this it's important it's interesting it's fun it's whatever it is mm -hmm. i realized that shame i was carrying was not no one was that was totally your shit totally my junk and yeah, it, yeah and it was so much bigger than it was in reality mm -hmm. as soon as i kind of pulled off that covering it was like oh there's nothing in here yeah i mean i think that that's also that cultural thing it's like i think that it's because we feel and i think a lot of the time it's accurate to feel that our discomfort is triggering to other people it makes yeah. them uncomfortable in the same way that our kids being having these big feelings. i mean we know that we know what it is to be with someone who is having a huge emotional moment and to know that we can't do anything about it it's very uncomfortable like we're not used to that as people and especially in a culture which is all about solutions mm. right like that's all that yeah. our culture is throwing at us all the time right you know in obvious ways of like oh you have you know toenail fungus like right. get this capitalism <laughs> but it's also in the storytelling yeah like every movie has a solution like every hero's journey results in the right. obtaining of the elixir and the you know mm -hmm. transformational moment and it's like that's not yeah how life works yeah it's what we wish life was like mm -hmm. and so I think the shame around grief just comes from knowing that we're providing other people with a, a, a situation that has no solution. Mm. And we feel bad about that because it makes people uncomfortable. It does not allow other people to be the heroes that we all, you know, yeah. want to see ourselves as being. Right. Um, it, there's no way to solve it. And that's why it's so important that people talk about it. Mm -hmm and normalize it and also allow for it to be the unwieldy thing that it is in yeah. the same way that we allow i mean i really think it's weird i'm like seeing that there's this like incredible it's this odd parallel between grief and, and motherhood you know which i've never really seen until this moment but like that's this nature of like 
how much of a roller coaster it is and how unpredictable it is and how unwieldy it is, how hard it can be, and then how trans transcendent it can mm. be at the same time. Mm. Um, and the more you don't sit alone with it, like the more you understand that it can just be what it is, you know, mm. for better and for worse. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's the thing. It's like we all imagine we're the only ones, you know, who've ever felt like this. And it's like, we know that that's not true. Like, right. I know that I am one of, you know, many, many millions of, I mean, certainly millions of people who've lost parents. Right. You know, thousands of people who lost parents to AIDS. Like, yeah, it's not a unique tale. And yet it can feel like the most isolating thing yeah. until it isn't. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And I think just to bring it back to writing, I feel like that is a way that you can connect, you can escape that isolating feeling mm -hmm. by connecting two words and you can show those words to someone else and they can go, wow, you know, and just that simple act, you know, yes. it doesn't even have to be published. It could just be, you show it to your therapist and they're like, whoa, now I get something that I didn't get before. You yeah. Know? You can just, you can write six sentences yeah. on social media. And I do think, you know, it's like someone will be like, oh, me too. Or, oh my God, you just said it like, yeah. in this way. Or, you yeah. know, thank you. I needed to right. hear that, you yeah. know? So good. And it doesn't have to be in the New Yorker. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't. Yeah. yeah. Um, you have to find ways to make those connections, even if it's social media, even if it's, you know, your blog or whatever you have or your podcast or, yep. you know, you got to find ways to connect. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad we connected. Me today. too. Me too. Me too. It's such a joy yeah. to be here with you. Um, I can't believe our dads were both. They yes. Our dads knew each other. So we just discovered <laughs> this, that our dads de must have known each other. Yeah. Because my dad was at. BAM, Brooklyn Academy of Music, in all through the 70s and 80s, and yeah. yours was too. Yeah. It's and crazy. what was his role? He was the chairman of the board. He was the chairman of the board. So, and so your dad's role was? He was the VP of marketing okay. in like, I would say like 75, 76. But he came up with this logo, the name BAM. The name BAM, yes. And the logo, I'm sure. I think so, yeah. Which my dad had like a acrylic clear plastic We acrylic. had that too. We had that too. Okay, we had yes. that. It's still in my. I, my mom probably has it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna ask her right now. I'm gonna be like, do you still have that bam? That yeah. for like bam. Yep. Little like that this big. That's so funny. That's fucking crazy. I'm. I wonder if my mom. My mom probably knew your dad too. I'll have to ask her. Anyway. Amazing. All right. Well, this was great. Yay. And I'm so glad. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of Are We There Yet? I'm trying to grow my audience, so if you can take a moment to share the episode or talk about it with your friends, I really appreciate it. It really helps um, to grow the podcast if you rate and review it, especially on Apple Podcasts. Even just sharing it, just hitting that share button, that also really helps it um, kind of bubble up to the surface when people are looking for content like this. If you'd like to share comments or thoughts on the episodes, you can find them on my Substack, which is called I'm Listening, and I'll have a link for that in the show notes. If it's in anything that stood out to you as resonant or important, um, or anything you struggled with or had problems with. Um, I'd love to hear those, those comments.
comments too. Um, and lastly, I want to thank Josephine Wiggs for the music. It's from her album, We Fall.